Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. Welcome back to Noggin, everyone. It has been a minute. This is the beginning of season two. We have missed you. <laughs> we have. It's great to be back. We hope everyone had a great holiday break. We sure did. But it is time to get back to simplifying scientific research in ways that are exciting for you all, hopefully. So we're back. We've got some good episodes lined up for you all, and we hope you enjoy them. I just wanted to report uh, at the beginning of season two, I tried to do some of the things that we talked about in season one, and one of them that I've been doing recently that I really I'm excited about because it just lined up perfectly with what we said. <laughs> Which um, I feel no bias towards at all, by the way. <laughs> I don't. I, I feel indifferent about what he did here. Yeah. So I've I've just been listening. So I've been reading because I've been driving quite a bit over the holidays, and so I was like, oh, I, I just want to read a book. So so or so I started listening to a book, and they were it's just Mistborn books. I don't know. They're kind of fictiony young teenager novels but i was like man it, it was like already <laughs> downloaded on to uh this audible account that i was on my dad's audible account mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i was like yeah i'll just listen to it nice. so i started listening to it and i was like wow this is actually a pretty good book and so i thought it was super interesting because as i was listening there was definitely times where i felt like what the person that was narrating the book or whoever the person was i just was like wow i've felt like that before or wow i bet my wife feels like that right now or wow i bet my sister is feeling that way right now Mm -hmm. and so i was just like whoa like this is totally helping me empathize with people and i was surprised at how well it worked it didn't. It, it wasn't like the whole book. I was like, "Wow, I just feel so empathetic <laughs> towards everyone." Or just the I was opening like, of your heart towards I, everyone in the world. <laughs> exactly. I, I was like, "Oh, I wasn't like, wow, I just understand everyone now." Mm-hmm. But there were definitely like three or four specific moments in the book where I felt like that is the perfect way to describe how I think someone else is feeling mm-hmm. in in this situation. And I was like, wow, that's that helps me understand them more. And I and I felt more like connected to that person, mm-hmm. I guess, because I, I understood their feelings a bit better. I think that's really cool. And I think that what you were doing is such an important part of our human experience. Being able to understand others who are different than us is not something that comes natural to most of us. And so I think the the practice of reading fiction or learning from others from hearing their stories to reading about them in the news or whatever trying to understand people who we don't naturally have a tendency to understand i think can one make the world a better place but also just like make you a happier person and make you a more well-rounded empathetic person so i think that's really cool that you had the opportunity to do that over the break totally and i I think that also helped me learn how to describe emotions a little bit better too mm, yeah so also I, I th- it, like ex- expressing my own emotions i think it helped as well because i'm like oh i can describe this because i've heard someone else describe it uh-huh. so yeah i think that's important too. i mean we've talked about this a bunch but that's important for like your own personal relationships you know like yeah. sometimes i'm feeling stressed about something and then it like boils over and i 
get mad at my wife for like i don't know something with something stereotypical like a toothbrush or like hair on the counter or whatever it is but then i'm able to recognize like i'm not actually mad about this i don't care about this at all i'm just stressed about school or whatever it is so being able to like recognize emotions name those and like describe those to someone else so that they can understand your experience can help your interpersonal relationships a lot yeah so anyways Go read some fiction. It's great. Also, go listen to season one because it's great, too, and then just do everything there. <laughs> uh, All at once. But So today we're not going to be talking about reading or fiction, or but we are going to be talking about empathy. And so this has to do with the empathy of pain and like actual painful things. And I think the best way to start is just jumping right in. So my article that I read... It was published in 2004 called Empathy for Pain Involves the Effective but Not Sensory Components of Pain. This is published in Science, and uh, there are a bunch of authors, you know, Singer, Seymour, O'Dearherty, Kabe. I'm losing it. Anyways, but you can go look that up. It's, it's a great article. And so the authors... They started with the idea that there's this pain matrix. And what we mean by matrix is not, there's no glitches, there's no cats appearing twice. It's, it's just, it's, what it means is the areas of your brain that light up when you feel pain. So these areas include the secondary somatosensory cortex, anterior cingulate cortex, insula, thalamus, cerebellum, and primary somatosensory cortex. Lots of big words, don't need to remember them. They're just, <laughs> When someone's in pain, these areas of your brain, ding, 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 start start buzzing. Okay? So that's all you need to know. And what they did was they recruited 16 men and women couples. And I thought this was super funny. In the paper it said, under the assumption they would feel empathy for each other. That's a big <laughs> assumption. It's <laughs> a huge assumption. <laughs> it's like, so, so these couples liked each other, I think. <laughs> That's what they were trying to say there. So 16 couples that actually liked each other, not 16 couples that didn't like each other. That's (laughs) funny. So the females were put into an fMRI machine, and if you know fMRIs, they're big, weird. So they had a mirror system that was put in place so that they were able to see their partner's right hand. So the women's in there. They can through mirrors. They can see their their. you know, their man's right hand, right? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I am... Wait, so the females in the fMRI can see the male's hand? Yes. Okay. I'm see just... the male's hand. That's so, it. yeah, if you if you know an fMRI, it's just like a big donut tube that you, like, get shoved into pretty much. I mean, it, like, zzz, it doesn't shove you. But yeah. that'd be, like, good work on these researchers finding a way to an, an finagle the mirrors. An <laughs> mirror system. <laughs> and it's, like, 12 mirrors later and a hand. Okay? <laughs> and so... They specifically did it so that they couldn't see their partner's face because they didn't want emotional expressions, like emotional facial expressions, to influence the female's brain reactivity. Mm-hmm. So they specifically cool. left that out. And um, in the paper, they did say it's because they didn't want mirror neurons firing and if you know a little bit about mirror neurons, just so you know, like this is not about n- mirror neurons at all. They're just neurons that fire when you see someone else do something. So like if Ben picks up a pen and I watch, then my picking up pen mirror neurons will fire. And it's like, oh, I can do that too <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> but this, this, so this pain stuff that we're talking about 
is not at all involved with mirror neurons. Those are different, but they sound similar, if you know. And they're neurons. also cool. They're also cool, maybe future episode, but not what we're talking about. <laughs> a little bit different. Okay, so they see the hand, and they also see a screen in front of them that tells them when they are going to get shocked, and it also tells them when their partner is going to get shocked. And then it also tells them if the shock is going to be large or if it's just going to be a little nudge reminder like, oh, yeah, you're hooked up to some electricity. <laughs> you know, so there's there's painful shocks, non-painful shocks, and then partner and non-partner shocks. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So they're in this machine. And before they went to the machine, they also took an empathy uh, test to see how empathic they were. So... It's just the standard empathy scale. Like, on a scale of 1 to 7, how much do you feel pain when others are in pain? Or something, you know, st stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just questionnaires like that. So the results, super interesting. When the woman was shocked, the normal pain matrix lit up. No surprise. Their, br their brains were working. <laughs> brains worked. M fMRIs <laughs> worked. Pain shocking worked. Yes. Everything's good. Everything worked. So no surprise there. The normal pathway lit up. So when her partner was shocked, the anterior cingulate cortex and the insular regions lit up. As far as the brain goes, the somatosensory cortex, the, the somatosensory cortices that light up, those are the parts of your brain that are actually in charge of feeling the pain. It's like, you know, when you touch someone, then that part of your brain is going to light up because you touched. Um, the anterior cingulate cortex, the ACC for short, and the insula, those regions light up for more of the, I mean, it's, it's more downstream, you could say. So it's like, it's more cognitive and less physical. So it has to do with there. Those regions are more tied to emotional things. So like often in depression, you see people with their ACC reactivity is a little weird like they've noticed that with people who have depression so it's not necessarily the physical sensation of the the touch or the pain but it's the just the inner workings of the brain like dealing with that experiencing that whether that's something emotional or whatever but it's not physical right yes it's more cognitive okay cognitive more cognitive pain less physical pain and so those were the regions that lit up in the women when their partner was shocked. So there were there were what's interesting is there were two peaks when they saw the screen. There was a peak in reactivity. So like they saw the screen, they're like, "Oh no, my partner's gonna get shocked." Reacted, and then <laughs> when their partner did get shocked, when they saw the hand move, uh -huh. it was like, "Oh, another peak." Oh wow! So it was it was pretty interesting. They they the researchers weren't going for like looking into that but they were like wow this is a pretty interesting finding that the anticipation of pain resulted in a peak in reactivity hmm. in the brain so and then the last finding was that those who scored higher on empathy measures had higher activation of the acc and the left insular cortex but not the right which is a little weird yeah that's interesting it's a little specific but it it kind of lines up because if you feel more empathic for each other, these these regions that are involved in emotionalness and cognitive aspect of pain, mm. they light up more because you are more empathic, which makes sense. 
I mean, that, that lines up pretty well. Yeah. So this study was just like, wow, pain and emotional pain can be felt for someone else when you know they're in pain. Mm-hmm. And you is, can see that on an fMRI. You can see their brain lighting up when that happens. Exactly. So you know someone's in pain, then these regions are probably going to light up if you have empathy, and which which everyone does. And so, and and so it it was a very groundbreaking thing that they could see emotional pain in the brain happening, mm-hmm. and like and, and that cognitive aspect of pain for someone else when you, nothing happened to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So I mean, it, it goes to show that. When someone is suffering, like, you could be suffering as well, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good segue into our second paper, which is more – it's a similar study to what we just talked about, but it adds an extra variable, and it's measured a little bit differently. The extra variable being touching someone. So in this one, they were just kind of looking. But in, in this paper, we're going to talk about talk about next. Uh, couples would hold hands during these painful experiences. So this is called brain to brain coupling during hand holding is associated with pain reduction. It was published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2018, and it's by Goldstein, Wiseman, Fogel, Dumas, and Shimei Tsuri. Wow, you're so much better at reading those names. <laughs> <laughs> I need to work on my name reading ability. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if these are right or not, but that's just my. I'm assuming that's Dumas and then Suri. So, they wanted to better understand how the brain is involved in pain alleviation during interpersonal touch. So, there's a lot of research with couples holding hands that shows that when a person is shocked, they feel less pain when their significant other or partner is there holding their hand. There's even there's someone at BYU who does this. Dr. Birmingham does this. And there was a grad student who was here at BYU. I don't think he's here anymore, but his name is Tyler Graff. I took a class from him and he worked on a couple studies like this. They recruited people and then they had them watch like scenes from scary movies and they would do it without their partner holding their hand and then with their partner holding their hand. And I think they got less scared when their partner was holding their hand. There's tons of research about hand holding and how with your significant other and how that helps you get through painful or scary experiences and things like that. So this is another one of those. Wow. How Um, romantic. (laughs) Yeah. So once again, with the romance, they recruited 22 couples. These were all heterosexual couples, four of which in this study were married from the university that these researchers are from. Um, and once again, they had to like each other. So they screened them for how well their relationship is going. Because if you had <laughs> so someone, it's funny, funny, but it's like, it's also a necessary thing to do. Because if you had couples who were going through a rough patch and one of them seeing their partner in pain was like a relieving experience for them, <laughs> <something> like cathartic <laughs> like, ah, they're getting what they deserve then that would definitely throw out the results so <laughs> these partners had to like each other um so couples were brought into the lab and they were asked not to speak to each other until the experiment was finished so in this experiment only female participants received the pain stimuli which is an interesting choice and it's definitely a limitation that they mentioned um in the discussion section of this paper they um were put through six conditions there was no pain alone so they were just sitting by themselves. And when they're by themselves, th- I think their partner was still in the same room. There was just a curtain that they couldn't see through that made it so they were separated from their partner. And they weren't talking to each other, so they felt alone. So no pain alone. Pain alone. So they were shocked. Partner touched, no pain. So they were holding hands, no pain. Partner no touch, no pain. So your partner's in the room. You're not touching. There's no pain. Partner touch, pain. So your partner's in the room. You're touching. There is pain. And then partner no touch, pain. 
So your partner is just sitting and looking at you as you get shocked, but not touching you. So each of these conditions lasted two minutes, and all 22 couples were put through all six of these conditions. Um, so while the, while the females in the study were going through these conditions, both they and their partners were wearing EEGs. So EEG is different than an fMRI. There's strengths and weaknesses to both. With an fMRI, you can see with really good accuracy the spatial aspects of the brain. So you can see where something is happening in a pretty precise way. And with an fMRI, actually. So in an MRI, really good spatial awareness bad temporal awareness so like in a regular mri you don't know when something's happening you just see that it is happening in an fmri you add the temporal aspect a little bit it's not as good as an eeg but you can know roughly when it's happening and really well where with an eeg it's really good temporally so you know pretty much i don't, I don't want to say exactly but you know almost exactly when something is happening but it has pretty bad spatial skills so it can't really tell you very well where in the brain something is happening so they're wearing eegs that's researchers choice pros and cons that's what we're working with here they're the things that you like put on your head and there's a bunch of like cords coming out of it and stuff if you've ever seen pictures of those or been involved in that yeah one thing i would add to that is the eegs are measure they're measuring different things one's measuring brain wa- waves coming mm-hmm. off of the brain the other one's measuring measuring blood inside the brain moving yeah, right and so it's a little bit different but and EEGs are, are they're so precise that you measure EEGs in milliseconds always. Yeah. So it's very, very, very close to the time of when something happens. Right. So, yeah, when researchers want to know when something's happening, EEG is, is the tool to use. So before each condition was finished, the females were asked to rate their pain, and the males were also asked to rate their partner's pain. So they would, they would look at their partners, see that they're in pain, and they would rate how painful they thought that experience was for them. So another thing to note here, too, is they did the same empathy, empathy scale that they did in the study McKay talked about, just to find out how empathetic these couples were. The results are pretty interesting. First off, the males more accu- accurately rated their partner's pain in the touch pain condition than, than in the no touch pain condition. So just by the male partner holding his female partner's hand while she was in pain, he was more accurately able to rate her pain level than when they weren't holding hands, but he was still watching her, which I think is pretty interesting because same facial cues same body language the only difference is touching or not touching so that's an interesting point also consistent with the literature on this females rated their pain as significantly lower during the touch than the no touch pain conditions so by just having their partner touching their hand they rated their pain as significantly lower than when the partner was just watching them be in pain so to the eeg stuff Analysis of the EEG scans revealed there's an inner brain coupling pattern, which just means that when the partners were holding hands and the female partner felt pain, certain parts of both brains were active at the same time. They could tell that by the waves, and they were alpha waves, which is EEG speak for a certain type of wave, a certain type of reaction coming from the brain at the same time. So this coupling happened in the central region. They don't know exactly where, but in the central region of the female's brain. And mainly, this is interesting because it's the opposite of McKay's, mainly in the right hemisphere of the male's brain. But once again, the EEG doesn't do a very good job of knowing where in the brain the activation is happening. So they couldn't say specifically where this was happening. So they don't know if it was the in, in the insula or the ACC or 
any of those regions, but they do know that their waves were in sync during these experiences. So the researchers speculated that this coupling pattern may indicate a reflection of empathy in the handholder and pain relief in the pain receiving partner based on these general regions that the the brain was activated. They also discussed uh, the biopsychosocial model. So if you remember, that's a model that, and a theory, I guess, that scientists often operate from um, to explain the human experience. There's biological factors, psychological factors, and social factors. And they talk about how these were involved in the study. So the, there was the neurophysiological coupling, which was the biological factor. They were, they kind of had their alpha waves synced aligned. up, aligned. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was empathy sharing, which was the 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 psychological part. The male was able to experience empathy and was able to understand the pain that his female partner was going through. And there was the physical touch during pain, which was the the social aspect. So interesting study, some limitations, and they, they noted those. This was, the sample size also wasn't huge, which always makes things less definitive, but an interesting study, I think. So I have a question. Yes. Did in, in the study, did they talk about, so you mentioned that they, they had the same alpha waves while they were holding hands and while they were in pain, right? Correct. So did they talk about, any sort of brain syncing at any other condition or did they not see that? Does that make sense? Yeah. So there was some syncing in the pain, no touch condition, but it was a lot weaker. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's I mean, good to know. I like that. Yeah. That's super interesting that, I mean, just touching alone can change your brain waves. I don't know. I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is crazy stuff. That's yeah. crazy that you're, your brain waves can be similar even when you're experiencing completely different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of my, my main takeaway with this going through both of these papers. We've talked about this a lot, but it's clear that humans are social creatures and we need that. And we thrive with that social interaction. So whether that's physical touch, like physically supporting someone when they're going through something painful um, or like in, in McKay's study, there was no touch there. It was just seeing the experience happening and understanding like, oh, that is a painful experience. My brain is reacting as such. Human brains are connected in ways we don't understand. The male partners are better, better able to rate their pain, partner's pain when they were holding hands, which on paper makes absolutely no sense. Why? If, you, if you're able to see all the cues and see like, oh, that looks painful. I can see on your face. That also looks painful. Oh, wow. You like are clenching your fist because you're in a lot of pain. I can see that. It should make no difference that now you're all of a sudden just holding hands and you can still see the same thing. You can, I guess now you can feel the fist clenching around yours maybe, but it shouldn't make that big of a difference. So it's really cool and interesting that just by touching someone, you can, you're better able to understand their experience and you're better able to empathize with them and understand what kind of pain they're going through. So I'm excited for more research to be done on how our brains are connected. In the meantime, my main takeaway is make sure you're there for the important for your important people when they're experiencing painful things, whether that's physical pain or emotional pain, cognitive pain, someone's really stressed, whatever it is, be be there for them physically and emotionally, empathize with them because it is helpful, can help reduce that pain. Love that takeaway, Ben. For me, I that makes me think about my how genuine I am in in being there for someone. And I know 
my wife, she's so good. She can see right through me. She's like, <laughs> when she's like having a hard time and I'm like, yeah, it's nice. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to empathize, you know, mm-hmm. be a good supportive husband. And she's like, you don't even care. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> but she, she can feel that. I think that's interesting that our brains can be connected in this way. And we don't really understand it. And mm-hmm. and we're trying to figure it out. And I think we will eventually get there someday, yeah. maybe in a, in, in a long future. <laughs> the dissertations of our generation are going to be trying to understand this. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. And so I just think that I think it's amazing that we are connected in ways that we just we do not understand yet and for me what i want to do is i want to be very genuine and purposeful in in the way that i think about other people and towards their pain and things that are hard because i know sometimes it's hard for me to feel empathy and i think it's because i kind of guard myself Mm -hmm. because i'm like oh because i know when my wife is going through painful things it's harder for me mm-hmm. and oh, i yeah. don't like it yeah <laughs> you no, know sometimes it takes i'm a lot just of like oh, i don't like that you know uh-huh. because i'm just like i don't want to be experiencing this thing i don't want to be experiencing pain right now mm-hmm. and so i kind of protect myself from that emotional thing that my you know that our brains naturally do mm-hmm. it's like you feel sorry for someone and i kind of protect myself from that and so i think that i want to be i want to try and be better at being okay with it mm-hmm. you know like saying okay it's not my pain it'll be okay you know like and really try to empathize because i think i don't know about everyone but i know lots of the people that i know do tend to like it's easy to build a wall to protect yourself from that empathy inside of your body yeah inside of your brain yeah and it's it is the reality is it is a challenging thing to be empathetic towards others because it's not fun to feel pain and it's even less fun to sometimes feel like this isn't even my pain. Why do I have to feel this? You know? And <laughs> yeah. so it does take effort and it can take a lot of practice. So we've talked about, I don't know, reading fiction, <laughs> but we've, there, there's strategies to improve your empathy. And I think McKay's really onto something here where a big step in genuinely feeling for others is kind of putting down those walls and allowing yourself to be in that moment totally and to experience that, even though it might not be comfortable and it might make you feel some pain. It can genuinely help the other person feel less pain. I don't know. I think that's a, that's a cool it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. And I think mindfulness is another great way to do it. I noticed yeah. that when I'm a bit more mindful about it, mm-hmm. then it seems a lot less painful. Yeah. But just, when I'm trying to distract myself or right. like eh, eh, think about something else, uh-huh. I feel like it just kind of festers. Yeah, right. But, and it can be really helpful too, to, like McKay was mentioning, in that mindful practice, just kind of sitting down or, I mean, you don't need to be sitting down, but like kind of taking a step back mentally and being like, man, how would it feel if I was in that position? If I was going through this difficult thing and I didn't have support or I did have support, what would my experience be like? And that can help you put yourself in someone else's shoes and can help you at least slightly understand an experience that you don't necessarily understand or understand the pain that's not necessarily your pain. Yeah. So for me... I'm just going to be sending some good alpha waves <laughs> to all you people in pain. Get some McKay alpha waves. I'll give them to you, <laughs> and I'll try better to do it when I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, this was a good reminder for me to I, – I really like McKay's takeaway. Genuinely be there for people who are in my life that are experiencing pain because it's easier for me to be like, oh, man, that's so hard. But I need to make sure that I'm really invested in that and I really mean it because that can actually make a big difference. So, yeah, that was my main takeaway. Thank you all for listening today. We hope you have a nice pain-free week. If you do have a painful week, try and find someone there to hold your hand if possible. 
maybe even just look at you while you're experiencing pain because that can be helpful. <laughs> just kidding. We hope you have a pain-free week. Thank you all for listening. You have been listening to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast. Thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. We have shared with you only two articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject. Though we wish we could go more in-depth, we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic. We don't claim to know everything, but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading the research. I'm McKay. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.